0: Welcome to Ethics Today. It's a program dedicated to the art of listening, to uh, taking a step back and listening carefully to people who have important things to say about what's going on in our society today. Um, Today's guest is Keontae Turner, who is a a fellow resident of La Crosse. He serves on the La Crosse School Board, is also a member of the Martin Luther King Community Celebration Committee, um, and I know you're involved in a lot of other groups as well, but uh, <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and, and talking us. Today. Uh, One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because because we're friends we've known each other for five or six years and we've been playing basketball together and uh, And so we've developed a relationship that is uh, uh, Where we have shared interest so our our Friendship is not based on our differences. It's based on something we have in common. Absolutely. And, and of course, in that situation, it makes it a lot easier then to have difficult conversations about what our differences are, right? Absolutely. So this this is a question that has bothered me, and I just see it coming up among, especially among white people when the topic of race comes up, and that is the the discomfort that many of us feel in even talking about race, Um, um, partly because we don't want to give offense, partly because we're afraid of being criticized for saying the wrong thing or expressing the wrong tone or using the wrong assumptions. So that's how I wanted to start this conversation. Like what what advice would you give to me for how I even talk about race in this kind of volatile situation we have?
1: Yeah, so I I think it's it's important for us to understand that um, this, this is a white pers- a person's problem, right? Uh, I, I really feel that we, we need to understand and approach it from that standpoint. Um, uh, the black American or the African um, did not create the, the concept of race, right? Race is a social construct, that is not biology. There are not any uh, chromosomes or genes that literally differ us uh, by way of, of, uh, of, of, of race. So I, I really feel like, um, although it's a very good question for me and I have a plethora of ideas, but I, I think that what we need to do now is we need to let white people um, first pose the question, right, how do I talk about race? and then to answer it as well. Um, because for far too long, um, we have been the mouthpieces for what justice looks like. Uh, we have shared these things also, right? How do you talk about race uh, amongst your, 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 your white comrades or, or constituents? And it just, it hasn't really gotten us anywhere to be completely honest. So I, I really feel like that's, that's a question for um, white America. How do you, um, Try to detach yourselves, right, from, of course, I understand the concept of being vulnerable, saying things wrong, right? Like, we all feel this stuff. But I I really think um, the best way to answer that is to to actually just start talking about it. Um, As a 29-year-old who comes from one of the most segregated cities, uh, literally in the country, um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, those conversations are not being had, right? And so when I got to La Crosse, it was, it was very, very important for me to, to be involved in having these conversations or starting these conversations with people that did not look like me. And it was to ruffle feathers, it was to get people to understand that, hey, talking about race is uncomfortable, right? But we need to understand that we, we shouldn't, we, we mustn't just not talk about it, right? So I, I think the, the, the logical question to that is just start. You know, try to find a way to, to find people where, um, first of all, I, I think the conversation needs to be held amongst other white people, right? Because if it is uncomfortable to you that you have that conversation in front of me, then you need to find um, other white people to have that conversation with, because most, most certainly, that is probably where it needs to be, right? There's really nothing that a white person is going to teach me about um, race, or what injustice looks like, or what justice looks like rather, right? But you can then go to people and spark that idea and then, you know? I'm, so I, I just believe that to answer that question, you know, the best way I possibly can without actually giving you the, the, the answers to the quiz, right? We, we don't learn anything if I'm just giving you the answers. I really feel like we need to make sure that... Um, we, we come up with those answers for ourselves. When I say we, I mean white people, white America comes up with those answers by themselves. Um, but just to start the conversation period, You know, I, I think we feel like we're too far along right now where um, you know, these, questions, these questions have been posed or these conversations are being had. And sadly, all around this country, these conversations are not being had. So I, I think the first approach to it is to have the conversations.
0: Yeah, and that's I think lots of times what happens is people just opt out of the conversation because it is either it's uncomfortable for them or they or they don't want to give offense. And, sure. um, and so that's one of the things I appreciate about you is that it's easy to be really open with you. And uh, and um, but you are also in a situation you come from Milwaukee to La Crosse. We've got a very white city, as as you know very well. Very. Um, sure. Oftentimes, you end up being the only person of color in the room, right? Sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And, so, how how often are you asked to kind of where there's an assumption, either explicit or implicit, that you will be kind of a spokesperson for all black people? Sure,
1: quite often, actually. Uh, there are only, um, sadly there are, there are people on the grounds doing this work, right? Um, there are people that have their boots strapped up, um, I am one of those people. Shondell Spivey, as you know, um, is one of those people. And um, a lot of the times we actually are um, those photo ops. You know, we, we are those people to come in and to, to ask questions via email or phone. Um, I'll give you a really good, uh... so we have a lot of protests going on in the city right now. And um, there are people asking me and asking other members of Black Lives Acquiring Collective Knowledge, um, is it okay if we do this? Does, is this right? Is this okay that we lie on the ground, right? Or if we say this, can our signs say this? And um, my my response to that is that if, if you are asking me if you need to do it, then you don't need to do it, right? And so many of the times, um, in these boardrooms, right, uh, I am the, the token blackface. Um, I live in a predominantly white community. I know this, right? And so um, th- it doesn't deter me from actually trying to do better for this community as a whole or trying to do better for my people in, in, in La Crosse, the black community rather. Um, but it is a, it is a little discerning when um, I get phone calls, like, hey, could you come and speak here? Um, and, i 've actually turned down many many interviews. Uh, this is the only thing that i 'm doing um, just because we have a relationship I know you for years and years and years, so this was comfortable to me um, but i 'm just not i 'm um, just not a fan anymore because I used to be of giving white people the answer right and so I just really feel like they need to search for it. and some, it might be a little deeper into them right It might be deep down inside of them this this, this answer that they need answered. Um, but I, I really feel like um it's it's time for 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 white people to to um
0: well I I, I mean I agree with you. I mean like we um I, I think that we need to just take take this conversation and, and push it forward and we sure. ought to be having the conversation among ourselves. However, yeah. I here this is something I hear I guess a lot from my students. College-age mm-hmm. students from millennials who are, who are in some ways much more sensitive to tone than right. people of my generation, and partly it is that um, um, there, there's a lot more emphasis on on the words that we use regarding gender and race, and and I would say just about any kind of identity, right? Mm-hmm. And um and there's so there's a lot more sensitivity to that, and there's so these questions come up. For example, this is what um, one of my millennial friends asked me about to ask you, is mm-hmm. how, do you, how do white people go from empowering the cause of racial justice um, to infringing on black voices?
1: So I think that deep down inside, right, we, we have th- the concept of white guilt. And um, this this white saviors complex has always been a thing, right? Um, what white people need to understand um, is that they, when they speak up, sometimes they stifle and they muffled they muffle voices that need to be heard, right? And so I, I think that as all of us are, we're, we're lifelong learners. I'm, I'm not saying that anybody. Uh, any ethnicity of people are going to have all the answers. I just don't. Um, But I I really feel like if you try to educate yourself on terms to use and terms not to use, right. That these conversations began to be a little bit more um, easier to have. Like for instance, um, if a white person is to call me boy, I am, I'm absolutely not in the conversation anymore. You know what I mean? Um, there is a directed, a very derogatory epithet behind using that word, right? It is meant to um, belittle me uh, as as a man, as a person, right? And so I, I really feel like um, not only do we need to have those conversations, but white people need to essentially educate themselves um, on what to what to say and what not to say. And so the protests that are happening in La Crosse, Wisconsin, nonetheless, are um, organized by all white women, essentially. And um, I understand um, what they're trying to do, right? But um, it does get in the way of voices that need to be heard, right? And sometimes what they're projecting through these, uh, you know, ontological megaphones very loudly, is it's wrong, right? It's wrong, um, and so, of course we need to stand side by side and have these conversations. Um, What does justice look like, you know, to white people, to black people rather, uh, from a white person's standpoint? And I've had to answer this. Now, sadly, I've had to answer this way too late after protests and after things that I completely have disdain for. But um, what justice looked like, what it looks like is actual reform, right? it is it is it, am i for the protesting i absolutely am for the protesting right but i really feel like um if we're going to cause any kind of um change it needs to be it needs to happen via you know our statutes it needs to happen via our laws and our policies um and so that is what real justice looks like you know that's what real change looks like so you know i i wish i had you know a, a cut blunt answer for you know white people sometimes muffling voices that need to be heard because their voices are just a little more louder than ours. And, and sadly, they're a lot more listened to uh, than ours are. Um, but I, I feel as well that is, that's another, uh, that's another question that white people need to answer, you know, answer themselves. Um, because for far too long, you know, um, they, they, what we don't want is for you to be speaking for us right um, and so that that is what we've been seeing quite often
0: uh, one thing we talked about the other day uh, was the, in your work on the school board uh, trying to advocate for a, a curriculum that is more respectful of minorities, and so one of the things that you had done is is push to get to kill a mockingbird out of the out of the curriculum and right. Um, and could, could you just talk about that? I know this has been talked about in the media and so forth, but I'd like to hear it from you. Like, what is the reason? this, And and here's, here's where I'm coming from. I mean, I believe I agree with you, but I'm also, I'm, I'm concerned also that we are losing um, some of the literary works that are a common language for everybody, and it's, are, are we replace when we lose something like To Kill a Mockingbird? Are we replacing it with something else that everybody is reading, so we've got some kind of common reference points as a culture? Sure, absolutely.
1: So the the framework for um, pushing those type of books out of the classroom is it's it's the same ideological mindset of white people not wanting to talk about race because it's uncomfortable. And so, when you are uncomfortable in class, right, as we, we, we know, our, our percent of black kids opposed to their white you know, counterparts and classmates, what happens is it creates this very uncomfortable environment for black kids, right? Um, I actually went to an all black school when I was young, right, from fourth grade all the way until ninth grade. And um, to look at roots, in front of people that looked like me, watch the movie Roots in front of my classmates who had the same skin tone as, as I did, was indubitably uncomfortable, right? To see um, us on that screen, to see our ancestors on that screen being abused and mistreated um, by, you know, white people was, was very uncomfortable. So the concept is, um, if you are uncomfortable, then your mind is closed off, right? So we're really not learning. The concept of learning is to be um, free-flowing, right? To, to, to understand that your classmate is a place uh, conducive to um, a safe environment. And I, I'm more able to learn, right? If that's the case. If it's not the case, I'm not. So it, it just doesn't, it, it, it doesn't draw parallel to one another and it's, it's super counterproductive. Um, now, I understand the concept about um, getting these, these I mean, it's, it's a piece of art actually, a literary genius, um, he is writing this book, but um, I do feel like uh, we do have to leave it up to um, households as well to educate their kids, right? Mm-hmm. And is it the responsibility of um, a school or a teacher um, to be teaching something that makes kids uncomfortable, especially kids that are not theirs. Am I able to sit down with my little brother and my little sister and read *To killing a Mockingbird* to them? Uh, *To Kill a Mockingbird*? Absolutely, right? Like that's easy for me, um, and I know how to. I know how to calm them, right? I know how I know how to talk to them uh, when we get to a very nasty part of the book. Uh, I know how to bring it to them. And I, I don't believe that white teachers are equipped with that same, sadly, I, I want to say empathy, you know, and, 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 and sympathy as well to be able to. Like
0: even, even if I'm not even sure if I, even if I were trained in how to do that, I'm not sure I could, right? Well, but it's, in some it's ways, The fact of race may, becomes a barrier to, to do sure.
1: it. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and uh, to, to go into a conversation I had with you, um as a professor at, at higher education do you find it you know um and i, I don't want to speak for you but you find it very hard to have those conversations with with kids in college right <laughs> so um i really feel like we we need to cool back a little bit when it comes to um making our kids um extremely uncomfortable um there are literary works out there that are are you know beautiful pieces of, of, of literary art um but I, i'd much rather let them discover that or have it introduced to them via someone who can sue them right like and, and not in a classroom where all the the white kids are staring at them and looking at them and um they're uncomfortable and it's it's harder for them to learn we send our kids to school to learn right mm-hmm. and if they're not learning because they're uncomfortable that's counterproductive essentially
0: yeah i i actually found it both fairly easy and very rewarding to talk about race when I was teaching in Memphis and Baltimore because we had very diverse classrooms and then so you had multiple voices and you weren't singling anybody out to be a representative. But I've found it very difficult when there's only one or two minority students in a classroom to do that. And so I, I just never have that kind of discussion unless I can speak to the students first and find out what their comfort level is. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, and so I, I don't know if your, your listeners know, but I went to Viterbo, you know, where, where you teach. Um, that's where we met each other. And um, I could probably count on, you know, one hand, how many how many black kids I know um, that went there when I went there. Right. And so, yeah, those conversations are very, very hard to have, um, especially if you're you're in a city or on a university campus that is predominantly white.
0: I want to. This is just uh, somebody brought this to my attention. This is a speech that Barack Obama gave in in 2018, Um, and he said, uh, "The more cynical people are about government, the angrier and more dispirited they are about the prospects for change. The more likely the powerful are able to maintain their power." And one of the things I've admired about you is your willingness to get involved in institutional reform. So for example, you're, you're running for school board and getting elected to school board and your work to change the system from within. Um, and I think that, I'm, that, that seems to me to be what Obama was talking about there, like it, that there, we've got the society in which we, if we identify racial injustices, um, it's really important to have people working from within.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No. I see. I've always had this sense of, um, of optimism, right? Like I, I just feel optimistic about things in a sense. And so um, it's really funny. I had this conversation with one of my my friends just the other day. He said to me, um, "We were talking about what justice looks like, and I told him that we have to get statues and laws changed. We have to." Um, we have to be down the doors of our elected officials and let them hear our voices. And he said, well, can how long has that been going on? Um, and to his credit forever. Right. And so, but I also had to, I also had to drop a gem on him. And that gem was, there was a time actually where I had to sit or our people had to sit in the back of the bus, right. Where we couldn't drink out the same water fountain or eat in the same restaurant. And these were federal laws, right? These were policies put in place. And so that changed. So I just always have a glimpse of, uh, of optimism um, because I, I will not be defeated, right? Like I will not, I will never walk around with my head down and I will not ever um, oblige to the idea that uh, nothing is never going to change or happen. It's just, uh, I, I'd much rather not think like that. I'm, I'm much of a An um, opportunistic individual. I just feel like, you know, if you put in the work, right? If you're running for offices in your city or your town, I I really feel like um, you can make a change. And so um, that's exactly what Obama ran on. Um, Sadly, uh, I wish there was a little bit more change that that came by way of our first black president, but. was it change? It was changed, nonetheless, right? And so we just have to continue and further that. It's it's about our community. It's about the people in it. And I feel like um, we need to create our own wave of change. And the only way you do that is by doing it. There's so many people, Rick, I'll tell you, I sit down in, in so many of these boardrooms, um, sadly, maybe one or two of the black faces in it. And I lend my voice to people. And when I get up, uh, it feels as if though so, um, this was just a good talk, right? Like I don't see anything coming from it. Um, I'll tell you actually, I'm not going to put these people on the spot, but there was a, there was a situation where we, we held a meeting and we invited people to come. And these people were working on um, a museum exhibit, right? Mm-hmm. For a museum that could potentially come to La right? And so we gave them all these really good ideas and we went into depth and we talked about absolutely everything and everything. Right. And so um, I actually brought up the concept of that. I think that there should be um, a museum component for um, music, you know, African American music, um, even dating back to, to Africa as well. The origination, the origination of jazz and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so, um, before I went into detail, I asked him. I said, "Hey, so do you know what I mean when I say that we need to implement a component of music?" And they said, and "It was it was a whole bunch of them, students from you know UWL." You know well. They said, uh, "Oh no, we don't know what you mean." And I had to break it down to them. I said, "Well, this is what I mean. I mean jazz. I mean this. I mean early rock and roll. I mean." And so I, I really feel um, as if though. Sometimes it can be very discerning, right, getting up from these tables and feeling like as, as if though nothing is going to change. But like I say, I, you know, my, my story is a, a very gut-wrenching one and one that I should not have survived myself, and I did. And I did it because I was always um, optimistic about the future, right? So just a, just a little little tidbit there, but, yeah, just a real interesting um, process right of gathering information and then um when you gather the information you can't really comprehend it you know correctly and you know they would have gotten up from that table if i didn't say hey do you really know what i mean when i say this um and nothing would have come about it so just to just to you know to get us back on schedule there but yeah
0: that's that's the nature of the work when you're trying to do any kind of uh reform of longstanding institutions of any kind. It's a really slow process because, because uh, there's an inertia that sets in and, and uh, so, so thank you for doing that kind of work. And, and also just, thanks for just sitting down and talking with me about this. Because, uh, no, yeah. absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. I've,
1: I've seen your your, um, your tidbits on, um, on Facebook. And I said, well, I wanna do that. So it was really cool that you actually okay. called me and said, let's do something. And yeah. I was going crazy on Facebook, so.
0: <laughs> i've been reading some of your rants and, and right. it's, it's, it's good to read and it is. Uh, but yeah well well thank you thank you for the work you're doing there for the work you're doing in our community and and uh i appreciate our friendships i, I know we'll be seeing each other again soon so i'm
1: hoping on the basketball court sometime soon yeah i hope that's not too far off indeed <laughs> all right thank you very much for having me rick okay yeah take care you too